You didn't have to came, you, uh, come. You came because you wanted to. I doubt there's one person here tonight. I doubt it. If, I, if I'm wrong, go ahead and raise your hand and admit it. I doubt there's one person that anybody whipped you or overpowered you and made you come to church. I, I don't think there's anybody. Uh, well, if she did, if Grace did, you needed to come. She needed to overpower you. I doubt she did, though. I doubt she did. You ought to be so excited about coming to hear me, you shouldn't even kid that way. All right, shake hands somebody and tell them you look plum good being here tonight. All right. The Lord is so good to us, and I want to get right on into the Word because I'm going to be mindful of the time. I always try to be on Wednesday night, let you get out of here pretty quick. But I do feel like I've got something that can help us. Uh, Hebrews 13, chapter 13 and verse number 5. Give me just a little more. Uh, it's not as crisp as it normally is, and... My old ears need all the help I can get. And I'll also read a couple of verses in 1 Timothy 6 and 6. But going back to Hebrews 13 and 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content. Everybody say be content. With such things as you have, for he has said... I will never leave you nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And then in 1 Timothy 6 and 6 but godliness with contentment is great gain. I want you to read that with me. Godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Notice, you said it just a moment ago, you said it with me, but notice the last two words of that. Verse number six, but godliness with contentment is, everybody say, great gain. That's what I'm going to talk to you about tonight, the great gain. Amen. Great gain. I got your attention now because you don't know what I'm going to teach on. Gold and silver have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. 
Amen. Everybody say, God bless the word. And you can be seated. The English word content basically means desiring no more than what one has. Now, I don't know if that definition's ever applied to me. Probably most of us, that definition, just, it's just hard for me to swallow that. Because I, you know, I always want more. I had lunch with the uh, Cooper family today, and my wife wanted them to try that fried cheesecake. And I hate to start talking like this, because some of y'all going to be ready to leave here real quick. And she got talking about that cheesecake, and we decided we'd order some. And boy, she cut me off a little piece about like that and put a little ice cream, some of that, that uh, uh, white chocolate sauce that she ordered and a little bit of that raspberry sauce on it. And I'm telling you, I was wishing she'd have cut my piece a little bit bigger. I acted humble. I acted like, you know, it's not a big deal. But boy, I, I, I just, I was kind of wishing I'd ordered two or three of those. But, you know, I don't ever get satisfied with a lot of things. I sat down to a steak, and my wife ate part of my steak today, and I was kind of wishing she had ordered her own meal, you know. <laughs> so I have that problem. I have that problem that I, I, don't, I don't always feel like I'm satisfied with what I have at that moment. The Greek word for content means to be satisfied when one is content they are satisfied with what they have and no longer does covetousness become a problem to them now Derek is just about ready to find out what contentment means <laughs> he's getting married uh, to Kelsey this Saturday and boy, you better act content. You better act satisfied with Kelsey. Because I'm going to tell you, uh, that little girl may be small, but she can get riled up. When one is content, they're satisfied. Your choices and your attitude will have a great effect on how you notice and see the world that you're living in. You notice what goes on around you and your attitude about your world affects you. One person in trials and great problems will just throw up their hands and want to quit. Another person facing the same difficult situation or circumstances will become better and not bitter. A lot of people get bitter when things happen to them. They're not used to trouble. They're not used to problems, and it makes them bitter. Problems do not make you better or worse. Problems just identify the real person that you are. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if I had money, I'd do this or I'd do that. Don't lie. 
You're not going to give it away then if you're not giving it away now. You say, I can't now. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You can give $5 to old brother Adam. Just walk up to him and lay a $5 bill on him and say, Brother Adam, I just want to be a blessing to you. Am I right? Amen. That would be all right with you. You could do that. But you know, if I was a millionaire, I'd give more money away. Why don't you do it with a dollar heir? You're a dollar heir. Give a dollar away. Give $5 away. Be a blessing. If I was a millionaire, I'd, I'd take people out to eat. You ought to start taking people out to eat. Maybe God will make you a millionaire. God wants to see if he can trust us. He wants to see if he can trust dollar heirs before he makes them millionaires. And if you're not successful as a dollar heir, how in the world do you think God wants to trust you being a millionaire? Problems do not make you. They identify. Socrates once said this, he is richest who is content with the least. William Shakespeare said this, He is well paid that is well satisfied. A Chinese proverb says, He who is content can never be ruined. Isn't that awesome? Jo Joanne Zimmerman once said, He who wants little always has enough. George Eliot said, the contented man is never poor and the or the discontented is never rich. Paul said it this way, godliness with contentment is great gain. A, man's, a man once complained to Benjamin Franklin, he said that the Constitution of the United States of America is a mockery. Where is all of that happiness that it's supposed to guarantee us, he demanded. And Franklin smiled and said, all that our Constitution guarantees us is the pursuit of happiness. You have to catch happiness yourself. Our Constitution does not promise us happiness. If you want to be happy, you got to try to be happy. You got to work toward being happy. And you don't just get in the church and expect to be happy. You got to fall in love with the Lord. You got to fall in love with His kingdom. You got to fall in love with. Souls and, and being active in the kingdom of God before you'll ever be happy. So to find contentment, you need to keep your heart free from hate, your mind from worry. Live simply. Expect little. Give much. Sing often and pray always. Forget self. Think of others and their feelings. Fill your heart with love and scatter a little sunshine and you can work on being happy. Anybody want to be happy? Very few people know very few people that I know really use or identify with the word content when they 
describe themselves. In other words, they don't, they don't say, well, I'm very content. Most people don't say it that way. It seems to me that if we live in a society where people are searching for peace and contentment, and they're looking for it in all sorts of places, even the advertising world tries to capitalize on this need by saying, if you buy this product, you will be content and happy. You watch commercials and you wonder where in the world did they come up with this. Now, they're telling you that certain cars are sexy. I can't figure that one out. There are certain things that they say that if you'll do it, it's going to change your life. And I've, I've done some of those things, and I'm still old Larry Gandy. And I'm still, I, I don't feel any different buying some products or buying a certain thing. It just didn't change me. But I'll tell you, when I got myself in the altar and I prayed through to the Holy Ghost, and not just the initial time at 11 years old, but all the times in my life that I prayed through to the Holy Ghost, I'm going to tell you, that joy that comes from the Lord is truly happiness. It's a cleanness, it's a beauty, it's a power that God gives you that nothing in this world can satisfy like the Holy Ghost can. A lot of people will try to tell you that you need this experience or this relationship. Happiness is said to be right around the corner. But according to recent census, 46% of all Poor households in America own their own house. And, you know, most of us are probably consider ourselves, how many of you consider yourself to be more like, if you were comparing yourself to rich or poor, how many of you would have to say you're poor? Or some of you not paying tithes. That <laughs> wasn't 10 people raise their hand. The rest of you think you're rich, I guess, huh? We're going to have to get down to business here if y'all if y'all are rich. How many of you think you're rich? Somebody ain't voting. You know, oh, you're rich. And I, I'm not talking about it in the kingdom of God. We're all rich in that. I'm talking about money-wise. How many of you feel like you're rich? Anybody? You do? Compared to the rest of the world, you are probably a very wealthy person. Seriously. 76% of poor households, which some of us are, about six or seven of us. The rest of them in here are rich. But according to the survey, 76% of poor households have air conditioning. 30 years ago, about 36%. Most everybody has air conditioning. Is anybody that does not have air conditioning in your home? Looks like everybody in this building has it. I grew up without air conditioning. We lived in Louisiana, hot, humid summers, and all we had was a ceiling fan. I mean, a um, attic fan, an attic fan that would draw in that humid 
air. I had sinus problems all my life, and I, you know, I'd sneeze. I, I just, I'm allergic to everything outside, and our fan just pulled all that stuff in for me to enjoy all my life, and, and so I've had trouble with it all my life. I do sleep better under air condition. I do sleep better under central heat. Thank the Lord for it. In 1973, the average new house had about 1,600 square feet. Today, the average new home that's being built is somewhere around 2,400 square feet. The average poor American has more living space than the average individual living in Paris. Everybody wants to go to Paris, but... We have it better than most of the people that live in Paris, London, Vienna, Athens, and many other cities throughout Europe. Nearly three-quarters of all poor households in America own a car. 30% own two or more cars. 97% of poor households here have a color television, and over half of them have two or more color television. 62% have cable or satellite TV reception. 73% own microwave ovens. More than half have a stereo, and a third have automatic dishwashers. These are those described by our government as being poor. And yet the poor in this country are better off than the majority of the people in the rest of the world. And yes, Sister Debbie, we are rich compared to most of our world. And that just gives us a better understanding that we really have no reason to sit around and gripe and complain because we are a blessed people. Can somebody say I'm blessed? In spite of living in one of the most blessed nations in the world, there is a spirit of discontentment in our nation. So many people are not happy with what they have. There's a spirit of discontentment. When it's hot, some are griping, want it cool. When it's cool, they want it hot. Always wanting what is not. If you're young, we want to be older. If we're old, we wish we were younger. If it's old, we want something new. If it's new, we want something newer. If it's small, we want something bigger. If it's too big, we want something smaller. If we have $100, we want $1,000. And if we have $1,000, we want $100,000. If we have an apartment, we want a condo. If we have a condo, we want a house. If we have a house, we want a bigger house, or a newer house, or a nicer house. If we have a job, we dream of a better job, a bigger job, a closer job, with a bigger office, better boss, better benefits, more challenge, better and better opportunities, nicer people to work for, and more vacation time. If we're single, we dream of being married. And if you're married, you can finish that sentence yourself. 
But I warn you, be careful. Be careful what you say. Contentment is not something we're born with in America. When you were born, you weren't born content. Most babies start crying within a few moments after they're born. When they don't like something, they never tell you what they don't like. I've never had one of our girls or one of our grandchildren, the week they were born, to tell us what they wanted. I just don't understand why they can't just tell you. But they can't. They can just scream and, and they learn how to kick and pout and do all sorts of contortions. So contentment is not something you're born with. We're not born content. Contentment is learned. It's something you have to learn. Contentment is not something that comes naturally. Here's what Paul said. He said, I have learned to be content. Naturally, we're prone to compare ourselves with others and always want more than we have. It's dangerous to compare yourself uh, among other people. The discontent Discontented person looks around and says, I deserve something better than this because he's never happy, he's never satisfied, he drags others down or tries to drag them down to his level because he's not happy where he is. No wonder Benjamin Franklin declared, contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontent makes a rich man poor. Discontentment eats away our joy, corrodes our happiness, destroys our outlook on life, and produces an attitude so that everything looks negative to us. When you get discontent, you get negative. We cannot be happy because we just will not be happy. We just refuse to be happy. We can't be satisfied because we won't be satisfied. So what do we do to be content? And I'm going to give you three things. Number one, contentment comes with thankfulness. Thankfulness. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. All of us are guilty of, about not being as thankful as we should be. I'm thankful for the teenager who's not doing dishes, but just lying on the couch because that means he's home, not on the streets in gangs and doing drugs. So you can find something to be thankful about, even with a lazy teenager. I'm thankful for the taxes that I pay because it means that I'm employed. I'm thankful for the mess that I have to clean up after a party because it means I've been surrounded by my friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little snug because it means I've been eating good. 
I'm thankful for my shadow that watches me work because it means I'm out in the sunshine. I'm thankful for the lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need the leaves removed because I am thankful because now I have a home. I'm thankful for all the complaining that I hear about our government because it means that we have freedom of speech here in America. I'm telling you, you'd be thankful about anything. I'm thankful for the parking spot that I found at the far end of the parking lot because it means that I'm capable of walking. It also means that I've got a car. I got something to be thankful I'm thankful for my huge heating bill because it means that I'm warm. Folks, we got to give thanks for what we have instead of dwelling on what we don't have. Instead of griping and complaining and finding fault and, and not happy with what I do have. Every one of us are blessed. Can you say Amen. No matter how little you may have, it's more than we actually deserve. God doesn't owe me anything. Every good thing that I possess is because of God's grace. You say, well, I'm the one that got out and worked. God gave you the health. And God gave you the ability that you could go out and work. And I'm telling you, there's a lot, millions of people that are hurting today in hospitals with cancer and diseases and afflictions that cannot work. And we have people that want to sit around and gripe and bellyache because they don't have so much. Help me not to be a complainer. Our contentment or lack of it is directly related to our idea of what we deserve. No matter your circumstances, there is abundant reason to give thanks to God. Life itself, the air that we breathe, the family, the friends, the clothing, the shelter, the church, our freedoms here in America, there's so much that you don't know what to pray about. Start thanking God for all of these freedoms that we have. No matter how little you have, there are others who have far less. Are they less deserving than we are? No. But some reason God has blessed you more than them. And it might be your faithfulness. It might be uh, your worship. It might be your giving. It might be your time that you spend with God that he's noticing and he's rewarding you for so be thankful. Rejoice that everything you have is an expression of God's love for you. If you are suffering from a disease, give thanks that God gave you good health in the past and that your suffering is not as great as it might have been and others have suffered more than you have. Give thanks for physicians and hospitals and drugs and medical knowledge and health insurance. Give thanks for all the suffering is only temporary for a Christian. Remember that suffering has 
a purpose. Gil thinks that God cares enough and trusts you enough to allow affliction to come upon you because his grace is sufficient. The second thing that I want to bring to your attention tonight, that contentment comes with praising God. If you want contentment, start being a God praiser. Not just thankful only, but be a praiser of God. Psalms 107 and 8 says, All that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul and filled the hungry soul with goodness. The happiest days of your life will be when you decide to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you'll serve him right, I'm telling you, you'll be a happy person. There's no greater joy than to know that you're pleasing God. When God's got a smile on his face because of the way you're living, any pastor's got a smile on his face, too. Makes you good to know your pastor thinks you're doing a good job. Amen. When you're not doing a good job, he may still think you're doing a good job, but you know you're not and you're feeling bad about it. It's not a good thing to feel bad because you're not living like God wants you to live. Has anybody ever been there before? God brings a fulfillment to your life that you cannot get from any other person, any place, or anything. If you want real contentment in your life, obey the plan of salvation that Jesus gave us in John chapter 3 to be born again of water and spirit. And I don't think any of us realize how powerful and life-changing this really is. We forget it. We forget what God has done for us, and we need to be telling more people about it. It needs to be so real and wonderful and great inside of us that we want to tell everybody about it because we want them to experience the same thing we have. Watch how your life changes, your priorities, your desires, your ambitions. Anybody have any changes come to your life when God fill you with the Holy Ghost? You just heard a guy a while ago, I'm telling you, he changed a whole lot from where he was when he first came to church. And he stood up here and testified here just a few months ago. And there's another one back yonder. Of course, he grew up in the church and supposed to have been doing right, whether he was or not. God still blessed him and used him. And a lot of you people sitting here there's no telling where you would be if it wasn't for the mercy of God. You ought to be happy about it. God will take away the love of self and give you a love for other people. God will take away the unhappiness and give you the joy of the Lord. God will take away the fear and give you peace of mind. Why would we want to gripe? Why would we want to complain when God has given us so much? The third thing, that you can do to have contentment and great gain is get rid of the joy killers. Get rid of them. Anything that kills your joy. It can be a lot of stuff. It can be a person. Now, if it's your spouse, don't get rid of them. 
just you know y'all just get it worked out get you a counselor get you a you know good old dose of the holy ghost and good old dose of forgiveness and start loving each other don't get don't go, don't get rid of your spouse you hear that Darius? I, Derek did you hear that Derek don't get rid of your spouse okay that's you got to remember that you're getting married Saturday Webster says that joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by someone or something especially good or satisfying. Joy is the birthright of every Christian, something purchased for us by the Lord, something we all desire and which God desires for us. And yet joy is something which we don't always experience. Too often, instead of joy, we feel restless, unhappy, dissatisfied. Why? Why, when the Lord wants us to have joy, would we be satisfied with all that nonsense? What's the problem? If it's true that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, what is getting in the way? The answer is joy killers. Joy killers are attitudes that prevent us from experiencing the full, abundant, joy-filled life in Christ that God intended for you to have. The name of one joy killer is discontentment. I'm talking about contentment, which uh, godliness and contentment bring great gain, but discontentment, the absence of contentment, brings a lot of pain. So what is discontentment? Well, it's easier to describe than to define. It tends to manifest itself as grumbling and complaining. Discontentment seems to be associated with a whole lot of grumbling and complaining. Where the seed of discontent is present, the focus is always on the negative, on the problems, on the difficulties, on the disappointments. It's always seeing the negative. It always causes a spirit to get a hold of us that'll make us gripe and complain. Job, Job said it like this in Job 3.24, For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. I have no peace, no quietness. I have rest, but only turmoil. And then he said in chapter 10, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Job is extremely discontented, which tends to take the form of murmuring and complaining. When Job's complaints are very loud and vocal to God and anybody else that was listening. But you get the idea, groaning, complaining, restlessness, lack of peace, 
These are all characteristics of discontentment. Also the characteristics of most teenagers. I just had to throw that in there. So what does God think of grumbling and complaining? I'm not surprised. He's really not much in favor of groaning and complaining. In fact, he hates it. It makes God very angry because he has done so much for us. And then we sit around, gripe, and complain. Now, I'm not throwing this at us as a church. I'm not saying y'all gripers and complainers. I don't want y'all to get angry today and feel like Brother Gandy don't love you. I'm not saying that. I just know it's the spirit of the world that we live in. Now, if the shoe fits, put it on where. <laughs> but you're going to determine that. I'm not calling you angry and complainers and grappers. But if you're guilty of it, repent of it. And let the joy of the Lord come home to you. Be happy. You know what it means when an alarm goes off? Nothing. No, I'm, I'm just about three. It makes, I always said it about five minutes before I want to quit. It makes God very angry. And in the case of the Israelites, it just about got them exterminated. As you can see from these examples, grumbling and complaining really angers God. In the case of the Israelites, he showed his displeasure through fire and plague and snakes and obviously, this is something he takes very seriously. If you will read the history of the Israelite people, they're grappling and murmuring and complaining. Got them in more trouble than anything else did. God hated that. Why does God respond so strongly to this kind of discontent? Because it shows a heart and an attitude of rebellion against God. It denies that God is good. It denies and rejects uh, the, 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 the sure fact that God is faithful and all-powerful and mighty. And it's like a slap in the face to him saying, I don't really believe that. A discontent. Tented spirit betrays a lack of trust and a lack of faith and an unwillingness to submit to God's management of our lives. It says, in effect, God, you don't know what you're doing. You're blowing it. I can run this show better than you can. Discontentment also reveals a deep ingratitude for God's blessings. God has blessed the Israelites by delivering them from slavery, Pharaoh's army. He, he did everything in the world, and they just couldn't be happy. They couldn't have uh, the blessings of God because of griping and complaining. I'll close with this. A group of geography students studied the seven wonders of the world, and at the end of the lecture, the students were asked to list what they considered to be the present-day seven wonders of the world. Although there was some disagreement, they finally voted, and they came up with this. Number one, the Great Pyramids of Egypt. Number two, Taj Mahal. Number three, the Grand Canyon. 
Number four, the Panama Canal. Canal. Number five, the Empire State Building. Number six, St. Peter's Basilica. And number seven, the Great Wall of China. And while gathering these votes, the teacher noticed that one student, a little shy, quiet girl, had not turned in her paper yet. So she asked the girl if she was having trouble uh, forming her list. And the, and the girl replied, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there are so many possibilities. The teacher said, well, tell us what you have and maybe we can help. The girl hesitated and then she read, I think the seven wonders of the world are to touch, to taste, to see, to hear. And then she kind of got shy and she stopped a minute. But then she said to hope, to laugh, and to love. The room became silent. You could hear a pin drop. You see, it's far too easy for us to look at the exploits of man and refer to them as great wonders while we overlook all the amazing things that God has done just to think about. Look at your eyesight. How it feels to be able to see and to hear, to feel, to walk. We are so blessed. We have great game with God. And folks, we would be fools not to tap into that great game and give God glory and honor and praise and worship and thankfulness. Would you stand?